welcome to this week's episode of The Wow, the podcast that will help you navigate your way through the world of adulthood and the uncontrollable forces of womanhood. I'm Georgina Beasley, your host, and I hope you guys are all having a splendid week this week. A special shout out to those of you who are located in Victoria and are in lockdown. I'm thinking of you and I'm very proud of you all for staying safe and doing a really great job at getting those numbers down. It's been fantastic to see. Um, So keep up all the good work. You guys are nearly there. Um, I am great. Although none of you guys asked, I'm going to let you know how I'm feeling. So I have had a really lovely weekend this weekend. The sun is out here in Canberra and I can feel the warmth of the sun on my skin, which after a really, really long, cold winter here, it's just, oh, it feels amazing. And for those of you who listened to last week's episode of my little rant about the telemarketers, Unfortunately, it hasn't stopped. It's still going, but that's all right. I'm, uh, I don't know how I'm dealing with it. I'm just ignoring their calls now. So fingers crossed by next week, they're going to have all disappeared and stopped hassling me. But anyway, let's get into today's episode. So today I interviewed Lauren Curtin. Lauren is a Chinese herbalist and acupuncturist who has specialized in women's health, fertility and periods. She has been so, so fascinating to chat to and I'm very excited for you guys to listen to this episode because we just dive deep into all the kind of nitty-gritty details of periods that quite frankly I feel like I wasn't taught um so being 24 years old I feel like I finally know how my period functions properly which is kind of empowering considering that for so long I just didn't so I hope you guys feel the same way about it it was an absolutely really inspiring conversation to take back control of what's happening in my body and to know exactly how it all works and yeah what's going on down there um so enjoy hi lauren welcome to the wow podcast thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us today thank you for having me First off, I'd really love to know a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a Chinese medicine practitioner and I'm based south of Melbourne on the Mornington Peninsula. So I do my treatments down there in a clinic and I focus my practice on women's health and fertility. So most of my days is spent talking about periods and menstrual cycles and all of that fun stuff. And then outside of that, because I live on like kind of like a beachy town. I like to go to the beach for walks and read and play with my herbs because I'm a herbalist. So a lot of nature time is what I like to do. Oh, that's perfect. Have you been finding it hard to get out into nature right now with the lockdown or have you been able to kind of find a good balance between getting your outside fix and having to stay indoors? (laughs) We did have a good balance going because I'm really lucky where I live. There's a lot of really nice places that we can go, but with the next level up in the lockdown that we're doing at the moment, it has decreased it, but we are really lucky that we can still walk to the beach. So I'm very lucky. Mm. So have you learned something about yourself during lockdown? I think I've learned a lot of things, but one thing that stands out is that it's become really apparent that I find comfort in uh, consistency. (laughs) (laughs) And things have been changing a lot and and often day-to-day things have been changing. It's been kind of like 
a really good practice ground and like good homework to be like, okay, I have to feel comfortable in the not knowing and not knowing when the future, if the future is certain or not, because I, I don't think anyone really feels amazing in that type of situation. So I'm a big fan of journaling. So there has been a lot of journaling happening this year. <laughs> I've really like filled up, uh, filled up a whole journal already, which is never. I think <laughs> that is so cool that you've done that because it sounds so strange, but no one ever expected this. So just think in like 20 years time when you've got kids yeah. yeah, just being like, hey, guys, so 2020, what a year. Do you want to read my crazy yeah. journals? That's <laughs> it. I'm like, this is a historical, like, document of, like, everything that's happened because you forget stuff as well. And, like, even mm. just the other day I was looking through my journal entries from March and April <laughs> and I was like, oh, if only she knew. Things have changed. To look back on and just kind of see, like, where your head was at at those different times because mm. otherwise it all can just kind of seem like a blur but when you kind of yeah. write it down and document it it's actually quite interesting so if you if anyone hasn't gotten on that bandwagon already I really recommend it yeah I I mean it's one of those things I've always been like I'm gonna do it I'm gonna journal I know the benefits it's meant to be good for the soul and the mind and all of that but it's just finding the time so I think I need to actually get onto it because I know it's meant to be so good for you but um a bit of a change of pace of questions. What did you want to be when you were younger? So I wanted to be a dancer. <laughs> so I oh. when I was little, I wanted to be a dancer and then wanted to like be an actor. I always wanted to be like something performance-based when mm. I was really little and then that swapped and changed and then I really wanted to be in the health field. I wanted to be a therapist of some kind or like a practitioner of some kind. and That's like quite a big um, jump. I mean, <laughs> being a dancer, performing arts, and then going into something like Chinese medicine. What was kind of like, did you figure out this? Did you learn about this in high school? Was it university? Like, where was the turning point for you that you kind of realized what, I guess, um, these alternative medicines were, and that this was something you were really passionate about and wanted to learn more in? I was in the situation where it was kind of in my life growing up anyway. So I didn't have that big experience when you suddenly get exposed to it and you're like, oh my God, this is so cool. There was trickles of that throughout my life. I, I, I kind of grew up in a household where we didn't really reach for things like Panadol as, as like your first port of call. We would do other things like heat packs and having tea and like just doing more like natural remedies or go-tos. So growing up in that way, it was kind of always present in my life and it wasn't really abnormal. And then I, and we were going to a chiropractor when I was little. So I was exposed to that and I loved that. And that's why I wanted to be one because I thought it was so yeah. cool. And then as I got older and I was in high school, when we were looking for when we're looking at uni courses and we're looking at where you would want to apply to, I knew I was interested in health and I was, I was looking at the physio course, but that enter score was like 99 point something. I was like, that's not going to yeah. happen. <laughs> I put that dream to the side. And I was like, Oh, it's more realistic. And then I was just looking through the brochures quite honestly. And then I found a brochure for the uni that I ended up going to and they had Chinese medicine and they had naturopathy and they had, 
things like remedial massage and my therapy. And I was really drawn to all of that. And I was reading all about Chinese medicine just in this pamphlet. And I was like, wow, this sounds really interesting. So I decided to go to an open day. And that's when my mind was blown. So for those um, listeners that don't know what Chinese medicine entails and acupuncture, because I'm aware you've got degrees in both of those, um, could you just explain a little bit about what it means to be, yeah, in Chinese medicine and an acupuncturist? Totally. So I like to describe Chinese medicine as basically being an umbrella term for lots of different modalities. So there's lots of different things that actually encompass Chinese medicine. So at its core, it's actually a whole philosophy on how we view the human body, how we view the earth, the planets, our relationships. It's basically a lens that you can view the whole world and the whole universe. And so within that, we have things like there's a philosophy side of it, which is like Taoism. And then medicinally, we have things like acupuncture and then we have Chinese herbal medicine. We have manual therapies like cupping and gua sha and moxibustion um, and massage and then we also have the diet and lifestyle therapy that's through a Chinese medicine lens and then our own specific meditation within Chinese medicine and within Chinese medicine that's called qigong so there's kind of lots of different things that encapsulate Chinese medicine and so when you're a practitioner it's really great because it means you have all of these different tools in your belt to pull from when you're working with someone and a lot of practitioners also combine the Western side of things as well. So we would also be looking at blood tests and looking at the hormones rather than just purely from the Chinese medicine perspective. So in the West for practitioners and in China as well, there is a lot of blending between the two. And basically to be a successful practitioner now, you really need to be well-versed in the Western medicine side so that you can communicate with your patients really well and you do understand what their specialists are telling them and what their GPs are telling them. So you really have to be across both. And yep. it just so happens that we pull from the Chinese medicine toolbox when we're trying to help someone. Right. And so why why periods? Why is, what, did you want to really specialise and hone in your skills in this area of women's health? Well, it's probably quite selfish because it helps me. <laughs> yeah. When I initially started, I was like when we learn about gynecology at uni from the Chinese medicine lens, that was really amazing to see the cycle explained in a completely different way before, like completely different terminology, different way of even looking at the cycle. And it was so obvious when I was learning that how much importance is placed on the menstrual cycle for overall health from a Chinese medicine perspective. Well, it's interesting. I just feel like periods is just something that's not spoken about enough. Um, like I am 24 years old and I can say that I do not know much about how my body functions. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last two years, having been diagnosed with endometriosis, mm-hmm. it's been a little bit of a journey to mine, of mine to try to seek out more information, but it hasn't been given to me as such. Like I've had to do the work and even though I'm doing the work, I still don't, doesn't mean I understand it. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm really excited to talk to you because I think 
some of the basics are just missed when it comes to periods and we don't spend enough time just being like, okay, let's actually talk about it. Let's talk about the cycle. Let's talk about how many days it is in the cycle. Let's talk about when we're fertile, when we're not fertile, when the period comes, all of that stuff. Because to be frank, I don't know any of the answers to those (laughs) questions. Right. yeah, I'm really excited to kind of just deep dive in on this because I really, I'm sure our listeners feel the same. This just seems, it just seems to be a taboo topic. Have you found that in the women coming to you that a lot of them are like, I guess, in their 20s and coming off the pill or been on the pill for 10 years and being like, oh, I was just told to do this by a doctor, but now I'm rethinking things and I don't really know what to do with my body or how it all works. Is is that your experience? That's the majority of my patients. Yeah, <laughs> that's very good. And we just don't get that education. And I think a lot of people, like even honestly, a lot of GPs don't understand the menstrual cycle properly. There is a lot that goes into it. Um, And we're kind of given the stock standard explanation. And a lot of the times that's not good enough. It's not really thorough enough. And um, I think what you're experiencing now is the most common situation where women have gone on the pill for whatever reason, either for symptom management, which is extremely common, or for contraception. And then once they've decided to come off for whatever reason, whether it's just because they want a break or they're trying to conceive, that's when they're like, okay, now I actually need to learn about my body because I have to. (laughs) Everything's out of whack. (laughs) Yeah, like there's no, like you have to learn about it. Or if you don't, then a lot of the times women are just put on the pill again if they Mm. go to their GP. So let's let's start from scratch. I want to start with your definition of what a period is and then I want to talk about the cycle, the menstrual cycle as a whole. So could you just explain to us at basic what is a period and how does a period function? Okay, so I would define a period as when the uterine lining sheds in response to ovulation. So this will be a cyclical thing that happens and we can only define it as an actual period if ovulation has happened. And ovulation being the releasing of the egg from the ovary. Exactly. So in like a, a normal cycle, we would have a period at the start. So the first day of your bleed is counted as the day, as day one of your cycle. So okay. so a period you have a period in your menstrual cycles. Yeah. So I feel like yeah. and I feel like a lot of people get confused oh, with yeah. all of this. Yeah. So the the your period is the bleed and then yes. your menstrual cycle is the whole thing. So it's the period and then it's also your follicular phase, it's ovulation, it's your luteal phase and then the period again. So it kind of goes around in this circle. And so the okay. menstrual- half of those words I did not understand, okay. so I'm excited for you to okay. go into them in more detail. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, when I would say the menstrual cycle, that's like the whole actual cycle. And then the period is just the days that you're bleeding. Okay. So, you know, you might have a period for four to five days, which is very normal. And then we enter. So to, to put it basically, there's two distinct phases of the menstrual cycle. So there's mm-hmm. the follicular phase which is from your period until ovulation and then your luteal phase, which is from ovulation until the next period. Okay. So So your period's day one of the menstrual cycle. Yes, exactly. Okay. And then just count all the way through. And that's why people would say I have like a 28 day cycle because that's from day one counting all the way through until that first day of the next period. 
and then the sun okay. starts again. So how long, I'm sorry, I'm going to jump in a few no, times just to keep asking questions, but I've heard an average cycle is 28 days. Is that the same for all women? Are we all different? And how can we know how long our cycle is? So we are all different, but there is that that rough norm that we want to try and aim for. So from a Chinese medicine perspective, we like to see the cycle between like 27 to 30, 31 days. That would be pretty ideal because we're trying to get as close to a month as possible. And we're also trying to get each phase of the cycle as even as possible. So from your period until ovulation, that should roughly be 14 days. And then from ovulation until the next period, that should also be like 12 to 14 days. And so we're trying to aim for an even amount of time for each phase, because some people can have like a 20 day follicular phase. So it takes 20 days for them to ovulate and then like a nine day luteal phase. So you can see that that's out of balance. So we want to try and not only be as close to a month as possible with our cycle, but also each phase of the cycle being as even as possible. So when you talk about regulating your period, it's not just about regulating the cycle being around 28 days. It's about regulating the phases as well. So those two phases that you spoke about. Yes. Right. And what, so if you are on contraception currently, does that mean that you cannot track your cycle because it is in like fake in nature? Like your body isn't naturally producing that cycle? Yeah. So it's tricky because if basically when we're on the pill, there is no cycle happening at all. So you can't actually track your cycle because there isn't one. But if someone is wanting to note down how they're feeling and, and take note of what their body is doing whilst they're on the pill, please do that. But it's not actually a menstrual cycle. So that's because what really defines a menstrual cycle is ovulation and then the menstrual bleed. And we can only really have that menstrual bleed if we've ovulated because that's how we make those hormones that then stimulate the the eggs and stimulate the lining to then give us a bleed. So when we're on the pill, there is no ovulation happening at all. And that's by way that it's a contraceptive because we're just not ovulating and we're not fertile at all on the pill. Mm-hmm. So there, there is this line of communication that goes between the brain and the ovaries that stimulates the cycle. So the brain will release certain hormones that talk to the eggs to get them to develop and then one will eventually release. And then two weeks later, we'll get a period. So there's this whole feedback loop happening between the brain and the ovaries. And, and that's on, just shut off that's when you're of, on. Yeah, so that's the aim, yeah. one of the aims of the pill is to stop that communication between the brain and the ovaries so that you're not ovulating and that you're not fertile. So on the IUD, Mm -hmm. on the marina, Mm -hmm. there is an ovulation, but in some, in like, I know not, obviously not all women will ovulate when they're on the IUD or marina, but um, there is sometimes commonly an ovulation. So I want to understand how the cycle works in that case. So with the marina, um, it doesn't actually stop ovulation. It thins the uterine lining. And that's one of the ways that it can really reduce heavy bleeds for a lot of women that struggle with heavy periods. It can help with pain as well. And sometimes women just stop getting a bleed altogether. But the aim of the marina isn't actually to shut down ovulation. So a woman could be ovulating and actually not getting her period on the marina. Um 
But in, in a percentage of cases, it just does shut down ovulation for some women. And the only way you can really tell is if you're either tracking your basal body temperature or if you're getting like a well-timed blood test every cycle or if you're getting a well-timed ultrasound every cycle. So there's okay. many ways to really know if you are actually ovulating on the marina or even if you're ovulating every time you get a bleed um, because you may ovulate one cycle and then you may go a really long time and not ovulate so it's it's trickier to to distinguish on the marina because it's harder to tell what's actually going on for you month to month unless you're really keyed in and, and doing something like your temperatures right so if we aren't on any contraception it's easy to track our period and to understand yeah. where we might be out of whack um, what phases might be having more days and some less and to know if we're meeting that 28 day prime cycle range if we're on the pill uh, we can't track that because it's being uh, all of these natural responses are being suppressed by being on the pill but if we are on the marina we can track our cycle it just becomes harder because we don't know exactly when we are ovulating because our bleeding in the period is being suppressed exactly. is that right yeah. <laughs> amazing <laughs> okay interesting so going back to i guess um the basic period cycle we have our period what having the period having the bleed what is that what does that what why are we having that and what is it doing in our body so basically, if I like run through the whole cycle, it'll make sense because when we talk about our period and the menstrual cycle, it's this um, it's this cyclical thing that happens. So you kind of just have to jump in somewhere and then talk about it because it's all kind of okay. in relation. I'll leave my questions to the end. <laughs> yeah, fine. It's just, if yeah, if I say one part, it won't make sense with mm. the whole thing. So basically, the day one will be the first day of your bleed and the bleeding is the lining of the inside of your uterus which is actually kind of like an endocrine gland shedding so it it pulls away from its layers and it comes out in the form of blood and that's happening because the hormones from the previous cycle that you made are all dropping so all of those levels are dropping down and it's triggering that release of the lining because some of the actions of those hormones is to hold the lining in place so after your period ending, then you start to enter into the follicular phase and it's called the follicular phase because there's all of these little follicles on the ovaries, which are just little fluid filled sacs that each house an immature egg. They all start bubbling up on the ovaries and start maturing. So that's why it's called the follicular phase. And then as you approach ovulation, one of those follicles will actually become the dominant follicle and the rest of them will recede back. And that dominant follicle is the one that will continue to mature and then eventually release the egg. And the outside of that follicle is actually what is secreting your hormones, which is really cool because it's so small, but it makes such a big impact into your body. Wow. So that is what is secreting your main form of estrogen called estradiol. And that is also what will eventually be producing your uh, progesterone. So during that follicular phase, the dominant follicle is growing and you're secreting estrogen and the rise in the estrogen also, like estrogen is a very plumping hormone. So you, you might notice that your lips are a bit fuller or like your hips or your boobs are a bit fuller. And this is a time that we feel 
most attractive. According to the, the research, this is when we feel like a bit more sassy and you might feel like going out or feel like being seen a bit more because this is when we're fertile. This is when we're entering into our fertile phase in nature. And what's us? What day of the cycle is this? So this will vary from person to person. So it all mm-hmm. depends on when you enter into your fertile window. And for someone that could be day nine of their cycle or that could be day 30 of their cycle. So right. you can have a delay to ovulation sometimes. So then it just pushes that out. Um, but ideally, I mean, ideally we're ovulating between like day 14 and then before day 20, say. That would be most ideal. Yeah. Um, and the increase in the estrogen helps to stimulate the glands within the cervix to produce cervical mucus. So that's when we start to notice cervical mucus is when we're approaching ovulation and that's when we're fertile. So as soon as you start to see some changes in the consistency of your mucus, that means that you've, you're entering your fertile window and ovulation is approaching. So is the, the mucus, just to put it blunt, is this like the discharge that leaves yeah. our vagina? Exactly. So discharge is kind of like the catch-all term for just like anything that leaves our vagina that's not blood. (laughs) Okay. So discharge is like, so you can have your cervical mucus, which is what is actual mucus that the the cervix is making. And it's Mm -hmm. structurally to just like vaginal cell sloth, which is literally just like the cells of the vagina just like coming out and just because it's just the cells are renewing. And then that's different to thrush because that would be when the bacteria and the microbiome is out of balance within the vagina and then you can get that overproduction of um, mucus or discharge that is more like white or yellow or green and cottage cheesy. Like that's a complete separate thing to just cervical mucus. So what does cervical mucus look like? Like how can we tell the difference? Yeah, so it it won't have an odor. So something like thrush or like bacterial vaginosis would have an odor to it and it's not uncomfortable so it's not going to be itchy it's not going to be red or painful like there's no discomfort at all because this is supposed to be there when we're approaching Mm -hmm. ovulation and in terms of consistency it can be like a bit lotiony so it may be a bit more white and cloudy or it may be a bit creamy or it could could be like those raw that raw egg whitey like stringy stretchy type of um consistency and it can become more clear as well like clear and stretchy um Mm -hmm. that's all super super normal it's more so when it's getting super thick cottage cheese type consistency that it's probably not that and probably yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) okay so in the first um stage of Mm -hmm. our cycle the follicular yep yes um so after we have our period the days leading up to that kind of midway through our cycle where we begin to ovulate we will start feeling sexy yes and we will start having this cervical mucus discharge yes so are these key signs that we're coming into our ovulation the cervical mucus absolutely is so whenever you see that mucus so any mucus that you see after your period finishes is deemed fertile. So even if it's quite creamy, because ah. we never know when ovulation is going to happen in our cycle because it can happen at different times, cycle to cycle. Yep. For one cycle, you might ovulate like day 20, but then the next cycle, you might ovulate day 14. 
So we we can't really know until it's happened because we can only really confirm ovulation has happened either through basal body temperature charting or a very well-timed blood test or ultrasound. So they're the only ways that we can actually confirm that it's happened. And that's because we start producing progesterone and we only produce large quantities of progesterone after ovulation has happened. So we can't confirm in hindsight when ovulation is going to happen because we can also get several attempts of ovulation in a cycle. So women will know that have long cycles that maybe have like a 40-day cycle. It's really common for those situations for women to see a few times some really good cervical mucus kind of come and go as their body is like building up to ovulation and for whatever reason it doesn't happen. So their body pulls back and then their body might gear up again. Um, So it's tricky because if you're just going off your cervical mucus, you never actually know if you have ovulated or not because you may may enter in a new fertile phase a few days. So it's a sign that it could be happening but can't be certain. Yeah, it's just like a little warning bell. Like if you see it in your undies or if you feel it when you're wiping, you can be like, okay, I'm fertile. I am, it looks like I'm approaching an ovulation. And if I'm seeing this mucus, it means that I'm producing this estrogen, which is in response to that follicle growing. So whenever you see that mucus, you can be like, okay, I must be growing a follicle on one of my ovaries and something is trying to happen. So you know that you're, you are entering a fertile time in your cycle. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then, so as you keep going and as an egg eventually releases, then that follicle that ruptures to release the egg then turns into another structure called the corpus luteum. And that is what pumps out your progesterone. So it's all coming from the ovaries. And then once you've ovulated, the egg will hang around for like a maximum of 24 hours. And then it just really, so you only have 24, like if you're trying to fall pregnant, you have a window of 24 hours every month. Well, that's our personal, that's like women's fertile window. But when we combine that with male fertility, it gives us a window of more like six to nine days because okay, can last. Can lay, yes. Yes. So that, okay. For those listeners that aren't aware, what we, (laughs) Lauren and I are nodding our heads to and agreeing is that sperm can lay active in the uterus for a number of days. Exactly. So. So yeah. we actually can like capture sperm before we ovulate and it hangs Gosh, up. isn't the vagina so cool? Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> like the amount of stuff that goes on just every day is mind-blowing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We're just capturing sperm without even knowing. Exactly. And that's what the cervical mucus does. So that's the point of the cervical mucus is to protect the sperm. And there is actually chemical changes that the cervical mucus has on the sperm to allow them to be more readily able to penetrate an egg so they actually do some chemical changes to the sperm head um but the if you look under cervical mucus under a microscope it looks like it's going in channels rather than kind of like cross hatching almost so it actually helps to guide the sperm and allow them to swim up to the cervix and then they hang out within the cervical crypts which are the little glands within the cervix for a few hours and then they continue on their journey and they can actually hang out within the fallopian tubes for a few days. And then so that sperm can then fertilise an egg that's ovulated a few days later because all the fertilisation happens within the tubes. 
So when we combine it together, we have a, a larger fertile window, but still it's not every single day of our cycle, which is like a common misconception that we can fall pregnant at any time. We do, mm. There is a window. Oh, when I was when I was 17, I literally thought, oh my gosh, you can fall pregnant <laughs> anytime. I know. It's a cause of so much stress. And honestly, like a lot of unnecessary like morning after pills. As yes, well, because absolutely. If you have unprotected sex well past ovulation, we are not fertile after we've ovulated and after we can confirm ovulation has happened. So from ovulation until the next period, we are actually not fertile at all. So for women that potentially have unprotected sex during this time and are unaware of where they're at with ovulation or anything like that, they could be really stressed if they're not wanting to fall pregnant, thinking, oh, no, <laughs> there's a chance when they may have the morning after pill um, as an emergency contraception, but they they may not know that there's actually no chance if they have sex within that time to fall pregnant. So having that information and that knowledge really helps to make a lot of those decisions if you need. Yeah, so in the perfect cycle, what you're saying is that you'll have your period to begin with and then at 14 days, roughly, uh, let's say a week and a half after your period, you tend to ovulate. This is, I'm talking, the best case scenario, but this doesn't happen for every woman and every woman is obviously different. But best case scenario, we would ovulate on around day 14. Of yeah. our cycle. Yes. Right. Yeah. So then are you saying once our egg is dispatched from the ovaries and the progesterone hormone is released that we then move into that second phase that you're talking about? Exactly. So as soon as we ovulate and we're producing the progesterone, now we're in our luteal phase of the cycle. And it's called that because of the corpus luteum. So it's kind of like taking that name from the corpus luteum that's pumping out your progesterone just as like a way to remember it. But that's your mm-hmm. luteal phase and that's when – Nothing else is going on with the ovaries now, so they've done their job and they're happy. But the in the first phase of the cycle as well, the lining is also thickening up and, and regrowing after having shed during the period. And so in the luteal phase, that continues to grow as well. And then it's also kind of just like a holding phase. So we're, we're pumping out our progesterone, which is really good for like hair, skin and nails and our mood and our sleep and immune system and bone health all of that good stuff so it's not just for having babies um but in that phase it's just kind of like a waiting and holding phase to see if an an egg does fertilize and does implant within the uterus and then if it doesn't then there's that feedback system that happens where uh if we're not noticing or if our body's not detecting the pregnancy hormone then the corpus luteum has a lifespan of up to 16 days so that's like the absolute maximum that your luteal phase could be but it's usually around the two-week mark like it's usually 12 to 14 days and then once it reaches its lifespan then your progesterone levels start dropping and then and then that's what brings on exact period exactly wow and then we're back to the start and then it all happens all over again so why does why do we have a build-up of the lining in our uterus so like what you were saying is the lining builds up. Is that is that to do with falling pregnant? Does exactly. Do we need a strong lining in our uterus to grow a baby? We do because that is the bed that the embryo actually burrows into and implants. So we actually right. need it to be a certain thickness in order for that to happen and that's something that's quite common in struggles with fertility is that women can have linings that are just too thin and they're not growing 
to a, a plump enough volume to actually sustain a pregnancy. So that's something that I see a lot in clinic. So we do actually need the lining to grow to a nice healthy level so that it can sustain uh, a pregnancy if one was to implant. And so when you're on the marina, from my understanding, is that what the marina inhibits, is is that it doesn't make that lining plump? And so that's why you often don't get a a period at all? Yeah. Is that, yeah, is that how the marina works? It's basically thinning up, thinning out the lining so that it's not even regrowing and it's blocking that stimulation for it to be plumped up again so it just kind of slowed at that baseline okay amazing next question now that we kind of understand how the period Mm -hmm. works what are some red flags when it comes to period that maybe our our cycle or our period itself isn't normal and needs to have a little bit more uh research looked into it like by a health professional yeah so This may surprise some people because there's actually a lot of things that can happen with our menstrual cycles and our periods that give us a sign that something is going on internally that's out of balance. And it's basically every symptom that we've been led to believe is like normal period symptoms. So in terms of just the period within itself, Mm -hmm. like a, a normal bleed should be four to five days. It should be not too heavy, not too light. There shouldn't be any clots no spotting and a fresh red color. So we want to look at those actual cycle parameters within the bleed and make sure that that's all good. So if someone was having like a really, really short period, like bleeding for one or two days, or if they're bleeding for like over seven days, I would be investigating that. Or if they were bleeding really heavily or they're bleeding really, really light, that can indicate issues as well. Or if they're having really big clots in their period, or if they're getting lots of spotting, or if they're having really dark brown or purple or black blood. So they're the kind of things I would be looking out for with the actual bleed. It's so it's so interesting you saying all of that because uh, full disclosure, TMI for everyone. I literally had all of these things oh, for like my whole life, and no one ever said that it was weird. Hey, that's a thing because it's like if we learn that stuff, then you can pick up on those warning signs really early on. So if someone Mm. starts getting like a really heavy period, instead of being like, or being told, oh, that's just a normal period. You can be like, whoa, why am I bleeding so much? Like that's actually abnormal. Or why am I getting really big clots? Like they're all warning signs that something is out of balance. And that's what I want girls to know, to look out for these signs really early so that they're not getting to, you know, in their twenties or thirties, and potential health conditions being um, unaddressed or undiagnosed. So what um, what can be some of the causes of a really light period or a really heavy period? So a lot of the time that has to do with estrogen. So if estrogen is too low or you're not making good levels of estrogen, that'll typically lead to a really light period because one of the yeah. functions of estrogen is to thicken up the lining. So if yeah. we're not having a lot of estrogen, then the lining just isn't as stimulated and it just doesn't grow as much and then you don't have as much to shed. There are other things, but that's like a common thing to look out for. And then on the other hand, with really heavy bleeds, it can be an excess of estrogen and that could be either making too much or being exposed to too much environmental estrogens or your detoxification pathways being compromised and not actually clearing out estrogen effectively. And when that doesn't happen, it means it just keeps getting recirculated 
and that can cause heavy bleeds. But then also things like thyroid issues and your iron levels play a really big part in your bleed as well. So there's a few things that can contribute to a heavy bleed. And then also things like fibroids or polyps or endo can cause heaviness as well. And what about, let's talk about pain for a second, Mm -hmm. because I think everyone deals with a bit of pain on their period. What would you consider um, red flags when it comes to pain on a period? Pain is the red flag. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah. Like painful stop. Painful stop. So, you know, like some discomfort or a little bit of just like some tenderness or feeling like a little bit, yeah, like tender in your tummy, a little bit of discomfort is normal because you are there, yeah. there is an organ shedding <laughs> when it's mm-hmm. happening. So there's something full on happening. Um, so a bit of tenderness is okay. But when it's, when it's crossed over and it's actually painful, that is abnormal. So that's a sign the body is struggling. And whenever we have pain in the body, there is inflammation. So we really want to be working on lowering inflammation when pain is really high with our periods. So by pain, are we talking about like, needing to put a heat pack on it or like I can't get out of bed because I'm in pain like or is it like basic level pain like if you are reaching for a heat pack or reaching for the Panadol and Nurofen on your period yeah. then that's enough to think that that's maybe not a normal yeah um, amount of pain if you're right. a heat pack just for like the comfort side that would be okay but if you're like I'm in pain I need a heat pack if you're reaching for any pain relief that's absolutely a red flag there shouldn't be that much pain that you need a pain relief with your period right it should it's yeah. really painful is it normal so what are some of the I guess symptoms of ovulation and periods that are quite normal to be receiving so is it normal to be receiving like tender boobs during our period or is it are we meant to be getting tender boobs during ovulation like when when does that all happen so that is also another sign in terms of like cycle symptoms that's another Mm -hmm. sign that something can be out of balance so like any pms symptoms leading into your period or even during is a sign that something is out of balance so breast tenderness absolutely um swelling in the breast as well can be a sign that hormones are out of balance headaches, bowel changes, a lot of women get constipated or they have diarrhea around their period. That's a sign to look out for and like excessive bloating. Um, if I didn't say mood changes already, mood changes. <laughs> headaches, <laughs> like sleep disturbances, a lot of women get hot flushes before their period. Mm-hmm. So any symptom really that you get with your period that is you would perceive as being negative not like a great, like you have heaps of energy. <laughs> um, any negative type of symptom is a sign. So anytime we get symptoms in the body, it's a sign that something is out of balance. So I would be looking at all of those types of things. And what are the kind of imbalances the body can have that can be causing this? So you've just mentioned hormonal being one. I mean, is does stress impact it? Does our lifestyle impact it? Like yeah. does obviously I would say chronic conditions like endometriosis, PCOS affect it? Like, can you go through your list that you commonly see when these red flags occur? Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that, that's the thing with our periods is so many things impact our periods and our mm. hormonal health and our menstrual health. So it can be stress because stress has a really big influence on our hormonal production. Um, it can be nutrient deficiencies. So diet is a really big area to look at with our menstrual health. 
Movement as well. We know that movement can decrease period pain. Um, so movement has a really big role to play in menstrual health as well. Um, light exposure, like artificial light at nighttime and blue light, like from our phones and our laptops, can disrupt our hormonal balance. Um, thyroid as well. The vitamin and mineral deficiencies, inflammation is a big one. Um, and how much time we're getting out in nature. And then also like how much we're being exposed to endocrine disruptors because that is a whole massive area that has what are endocrine what what is endo what is endocrine <laughs> so the endocrine that's like our hormonal system so when we say like okay. endocrine system that's basically all of our hormones so is that where our estrogen and estrogen uh, yeah progesterone yeah. are right. produced yes so that would be like a part of our endocrine system um right. And so there's these things called endocrine disruptors, which are chemicals that negatively impact our hormones. So there's a lot of chemicals out there that mimic estrogen and can make period symptoms worse or, or cause period symptoms that can cause heavy bleeds or can cause things like fibroids. Like we know that things like fibroids and even endo have really big links to things like endocrine disruptors. So this could be pesticides in our food or it can be chemicals that we're exposed to that go on our skin so anything that goes in our mouth or onto our skin has the potential to influence our hormones either positively or negatively and if we're getting exposed to too much over the course of our life then there's kind of like a toxicity that can build up and change the way our hormones are actually processing and functioning which can then give us symptoms so it's really important to look at diet and look at where our food is coming from, looking at the quality of our food, and then also looking like doing an audit of the products that we're exposed to. So like looking at your deodorant and shampoo, conditioner, body wash, mm. anything like moisturizers, anything like that, even washing powder and laundry detergent, dishwashing liquid, all cleaning supplies, and then things like hair products and nail polish, like makeup, the whole, everything that we're exposed to. It's like connected. If we're not careful, we could be exposed to thousands of these disruptors every single day. And like in isolation, it might not seem like a massive thing. Like if someone wears nail polish once, they'll be like, big deal. Because we know that nail polish has a really big influence on ovarian health and on our hormones and egg health. And I had no clue. I didn't even know that. Yeah. My goodness. Okay. Nail polish is notorious for that. There's a lot of not great chemicals in nail polish. So yeah. you know, like a one-off wear may not seem like a big deal, but when we look at it in the combination, like looking at, okay, well, there was that exposure, but then also the diet that day and then also all yeah. of the other products, but then it also all adds like up. 20 years as well, like of mm. exposure. So it definitely adds up. So that's been a so, really good area to look at. I guess it sounds like what you're saying is that there can be easy fixes for the problems that we're having with our periods. So it's not always like, obviously I'm a worst case scenario. My problems ended up being endometriosis, mm -hmm. which um, we will go into another episode, but um, obviously there can be more simpler reasons for having chronic period pain or really heavy bleeds or light bleeds, whatever that is, that might be as simple as needing to change your diet or needing to change your lifestyle slightly so that you can balance your hormones. Is that what you're kind of, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of the time it isn't that complicated with periods. Like a lot of the time it is these simple tweaks that a lot of people think is kind of too easy to make that much of a difference. But when it's 
compounded with every other area of your life as well. Like when you're making changes in all of those really key areas in a way that is positively influencing your hormones, you can make massive changes. And we think that people never thought like women that have had something like period pain their whole life, never think that it could possibly change. And then all of a sudden it does start, you know, consistent effort. Like it, it can absolutely change sometimes all it takes is actually paying attention to it I think it's just because it's something that we all go every woman has it you know we all deal with it so none of us can be special and have something separate from the rest but it turns out being that we all have sensitivities to different things or we can all have different underlying issues so I guess if we just pay a little bit more of close attention to what's going on we can kind of get to the bottom of it and hopefully be more comfortable when we do have our cycles exactly I am fully aware of the time. I have not gotten through. <laughs> I wanted to go so much further into understanding how we can regulate our cycles. So I would like to ask if you would be interested in coming back and sharing a little bit more about how we can then regulate our cycle more properly and the different things that we can do to balance our hormones in a later episode, Lauren. Would that be something of interest to you? Yes, we definitely need to do a part two, I think. We need to like get into the <laughs> Yeah, I was just like, we have just touched the surface yeah. here. Um, but thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. I mean, for myself personally, I wish I had been told this at 16 years mm-hmm. old that I wasn't, um that it wasn't normal to be in the pain that I was I think yeah you just think that everyone goes through it so it's so nice to know now being a little bit older that it is not okay and that stuff needs to be researched and obviously now I know why I'm very excited to get you on for a part two in the coming weeks and thank you today for starting this conversation it has been fantastic oh thank you for having me Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Wow. I hope you found my conversation with Lauren really interesting and I hope you guys have all learned something new about your periods that you didn't know before today. Uh, If you enjoyed the episode, I'd love it if you subscribed if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're on Spotify, uh, leave a review or share it with your friends and if you haven't already, come join us on Instagram at underscore the wow project underscore. We drop new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you tune in next week. Lastly, just a friendly reminder that the information shared in this podcast is general advice only and does not take into account your personal situation or needs. Where appropriate, please consult a health practitioner first. Thanks, guys, and have a good week.